Well, good morning. Uh, we're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians today. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to this church in hopes of finding reconciliation with them, as well as fostering a deeper relationship with this church that he loves. And as he is writing this letter, he takes some time to remind the church of Corinth of the need for them to contribute to the relief fund given to Christians in Jerusalem who were living in poverty due to persecution as well as a famine that affected Judea and the surrounding areas. Thankfully, the church of Corinth has already agreed to give the funds to Jerusalem. And Paul, in this section of this letter that we started looking at last week and we're continuing this week, we see that he's reminding them to keep their commitment to the fund that they said they would. As Pastor Aaron shared last week, sometimes good intentions need encouragement to help people do what they said they're going to do, and that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is calling for this church to be generous, to give voluntarily, and not out of guilt or duty or coercion. And let me just say that this call to give this collection to Jerusalem that Paul takes up in two chapters in our Bible is not just some digression in Paul's thoughts. It's not like he was writing this letter and thought, oh, by the way, since I'm writing this, let me tell you, you need to give to the fund that you promised to give to. To Paul, this collection is a tangible expression that this church understood the grace of God. To Paul, this collection was a beautiful outworking of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Generosity and giving to others is a good response, a great response to those who understand all that God had done for them. Giving to the needs of the poor in Jerusalem is rooted in the character of God and his generosity towards us. And so Paul takes time in this letter to talk about this collection. The section just before I'm about to read has him get Titus and two other people to commit to go to Corinth to pick up this collection. And this is where we pick up in this letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 9. I'm going to read for us. You can follow along in your Bible, order of worship, or just listen as I read. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. St. Achaia has already been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point of this is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is God's word and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. I pray that your spirit will use uh, your word and use whatever comes forth from my mouth to encourage us, to strengthen us, to challenge us, and to help us remember how much we are loved by you. In your holy name, amen. So we recently moved into a two-flat with my parents, and it is awesome, and we've had a lot of work that's needed to be done on the two units that we have, including getting the replacement of some of these old ceiling fans. And so we had someone come out and replaced a bunch of ceiling fans in my parents' unit and in our unit as well. And after about a week of after the ceiling fans were put in, my parents, when I was down there visiting, told me that sometimes the light goes on on their ceiling fan without them turning it on. Sometimes the fan starts moving, they said, without them doing anything. And I'll be honest, I thought, yeah, right. You probably accidentally touched the remote, or maybe you turned it on and you forgot. As you can see, I'm such a great son to think these things about my parents. But then a few days later, my wife tells me that sometimes our fan turns on automatically, or our light turns on, and that freaked me out. I was like, we cannot use these units. We cannot use these fans until the electrician that was going to come out to do some work a little later would look at these. And so we did not touch the fans for over a week. And when the electrician came and looked at it, he kind of gave me the same look I gave my parents. He didn't understand what I was saying. And while he was working on some other things, I thought, I wonder if the fact that we had purchased the exact same fan in both units with the exact same remote has anything to do with what's going on. And it did. <laughs> when I used my parents' remote, our ceiling fan turned on and vice versa. So what I decided is the best thing to do is we would point our remote up into the ceiling and they would point their remote down into the basement so that we would not affect our fans. That obviously did not work. <laughs> and what we needed to do that probably many of you already knew we needed to do is we needed to get into the fan, we needed to open up the fan and change the frequency for the remote. We needed to change something inside the fan in order to make the fan and the remote do what they were supposed to do. And I got to tell you, this story came into my mind this week as I've been preparing for this sermon. I got to admit that I've been struggling all week with the words of this chapter and chapter 8, which Pastor Aaron preached on last week. I've been struggling thinking about the power of money and how often it consumes me and others. You know, what Jesus said in the gospel lesson about money is completely true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about the power of money and possessions that consume so many of us. What would it look like to not be mastered by the gods of comfort, security, materialism, that anxiety that we don't have enough? The line that Pastor Aaron said last week in the sermon has been in my mind all week when he said, your first love orders all your other loves. Your first love orders all your other loves. And I don't honestly know if I can say my first love is always God. And then I read in our passage today where Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought, that's not me. 
So what do we do? How are we supposed to do what Paul calls us to do, what Jesus calls us to do, what the rest of scriptures calls us to do? How do we fix our selfishness if we see it in our lives? And that brings me back to my opening story. You see, I want to solve the generosity problem on my own. I want to try to make a plan or make a promise, a commitment that I will be more generous this year. I want to figure out ways to be better at it. And even if my motives are right and they are not always right, I need something changed inside. In a sense, we need a new frequency from what the world says and even what often our minds say about our money and our possessions. This is what Paul is getting at in this section this morning. Paul is talking about a collection here in chapter 8 and 9, but notice he he doesn't mention the word money once. The focus on chapter 8 and 9 is on generosity. It is on where is our heart and where is our love directed at, more than where does our money go. Paul doesn't just give us a simple list of do's and don'ts when it comes to our money. Paul is painting a picture of what it looks like to be God's people, and how generosity does play a vital part in that picture. You see, Paul does not want these Corinthians to just give out a duty or guilt to try to make themselves feel better. Paul wants them to give willingly, rightly, with joyful and cheerful attitudes. And this is what I want for myself as well. I want us as a church to be known as people that care more about others than our own needs. I want myself and others to be generous people. The point of this passage, as elsewhere in Scripture, is not how much one gives, but that one gives as freely as possible. And in fact, in the first section that I read, Paul talks about the Macedonian church. That was a smaller church, a poorer church than the Corinthian church, and yet he commends them and the Corinthians for giving. It's not about the amount. It's about that one is freely giving what they have. The point of this passage is a desire and hope that we would be people that give our time and our gifts and our money to serve and help others in a response to all that God has given us. And I got to say, honestly, many of you are an amazing example to me of your generosity. I truly, truly believe this church is a very generous church. Not only do you give to this church, but every single time we have a mercy bin, it is overflowing and we're able to give back to our partner ministries because of you. Many of you give up of your time and your energy, you open up your homes, you care for one another deeply. And I am very thankful and humbled by your generosity. And I hope today, whether you are someone that maybe gives a lot, someone that gives a little, someone that doesn't give at all today, my hope today is to be encouraged to at least think about generosity and what Jesus and Paul talks about in this. And so I just want to walk through this passage briefly and look at the reasons and the results of being generous. Paul begins by saying that Titus is going to come. And the reason why he wants Titus to come ahead of Paul is Paul wants this church to gather up the collection before he gets there. Because what he does not want is this church just to do it out of duty or guilt or want to please Paul by showing off that they're giving of their money. Paul is afraid that they will feel coerced into giving if he's there. So he hopes that Titus will gather it up before he arrives. Paul wants them, as he says in verse 5, to give willingly. To give willingly. And then he gets to the heart of this call in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly 
will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Paul is using a familiar farming image that is pretty easy to understand. If you sow a little seed, only a little will grow. If you have plenty of seed, then a lot will grow. The size of the harvest is always directly proportionate to the amount of seeds sown. Paul uses this point to challenge the Corinthians to be generous and freely giving because it leads to a generous harvest. It leads to a blessing to others and to that very church themselves. Now, it's easy, I think, to see what the benefit is to this giving to the Jerusalem church. Because the Corinthians gathered up their funds to give to this poor church, it allowed this church to have money to feed the poor, to feed the widows, to feed the children, to survive. But what is the benefit to the Corinthians who give? What harvest might they see in their lives based on their generosity? And what about us? What benefits do we see in our lives when we give generously? Well, obviously, this is not teaching that when we give our money to away, God promises to give us more money back. God is not making a bargain here to promise us prosperity or success as long as we give. You cannot find that anywhere taught in Scripture. In fact, often when we give, we don't really see what we expect to see. When we give, we sometimes don't feel like it matters. When we give, there are times when we don't see the harvest that is beginning to reap. I do believe we are promised a great harvest, and Paul gives some examples in our passage about this that I want to look at in a moment. But before we do, I want to talk briefly about what it looks like sometimes when we give and don't experience what we expect to see or feel. I was thinking for me about this example of of how we give away our money when it comes to missions here at the church. I have uh, the privilege of being a part of the missions committee, and it is an honor and a privilege to use the funds that you give, the funds that we collect, in order to support missionaries all over the world. Many of you know that one of our goals as a church is every year when we come to budget time, we want to give away 20% of our money. Every year, we just want money to go out the doors to others, to people in our city and people in our world. And this includes missionaries that we support. And so recently, we've added three new missionaries that we as a church are supporting. And it's been exciting for me to know that we are supporting these new works. And they all raised enough money and were ready to leave by the end of 2021 to go onto the fields and do what they wanted to do. But two out of the three still are not able to leave the states to where they want to go because Japan and the Philippines closed down their borders to people coming in. Two out of the three missionaries we've just started supporting many months are not on the field doing what they're called to do as a missionary. So is our present giving to these missionaries in vain? Absolutely not. Of course they want to go and begin the work that they feel God has called them and equipped them to do. And I can't wait for one day to share the good news of the work being done in these various parts of the world. And that will happen one day. But for now, while they wait, while we wait, there is a fruit of righteousness still present. When we give, we might not always see how the seed produces a great harvest, but it is there. If scriptures are to be believed... There are great benefits to us when we give. And one of the benefits that Paul talks about in verse 7 is Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, this is an amazing part of the incredible experience we get to have as we give. As we give, we get to know God's love more. As we give, we get to experience God's love more. Who does God love? God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know exactly what this looks like in your life or mine, but man, I want to know God's love more. I want to experience it more in my life. I want you to know how loved you are by God. And when we are generous, we get to know God's love more than we would if we weren't generous. Now, this is not about earning God's love at all, but it's about experiencing God's love. As we give, not out of compulsion or reluctantly, but cheerfully, we get to know and experience God more. Why? Because this is who God is, and this is how God gives. God's love is shown to us by how much he gives without hesitation. Our God is a very giving God. I mean, think about this passage here that we see. God shows himself again and again as generous giving God, even just in this chapter alone. We are called to give. We're called to be generous, and God gives us what we need to be able to do what he calls us to do. As we give, Paul says in verse 8, that God's grace gives us sufficiency. Other translations say God's grace gives us contentment in all things. One of the gifts God gives us is contentment, and it's not based on self-reliance brought about by self-discipline, but rather commitment or contentment is found in relying on God's provision for us. Paul spells it out in verse 10 by letting us know that the very seed that we are called to sow in generosity is actually provided for by God himself. Finding contentment in God's provision for us is a beautiful harvest that we get to experience. Finding a purpose for why God gives us the gifts he gives us is a beautiful harvest given to us. And what is the purpose for why God gives us gifts? Well, Paul tells us in verse 8, He says, we've been given grace and sufficiency so that we may abound in every good work. God's abundant blessing is not intended to just produce ease, but to lead to every good work. And part of the good work we get to do is be generous people. God does not need our money to fulfill his purposes. He is not dependent upon us at all, but he calls us to give, and he uses what we give to grow his kingdom. I mean, think about this section here in 2 Corinthians and how we see God's kingdom growing by the generosity of the Corinthian church. Not only is this church in Jerusalem now able to survive because of the giving, which is a good thing, but in verses 11 and 12, we see that this giving produces thanksgiving to God and increased a bond of affection between the Jewish and Gentile Christians in Jerusalem and Corinth. There is worship and thanksgiving as a direct response to people living out generous lives. And there is a deep connection between these two very different churches, though probably most, if not all of them, have never met each other. The church grows in worship because of generosity. Prayer and praise and thanksgiving is given up to God because of generosity. Way more than material blessings are given when God's people are generous. And what is the key to help us grow in generosity? How do we do this? Well, I think we need to realize the more we realize how much we have been given, our hands will open up more in generosity. 
Paul ends this section with an amazing celebration of all that we have been given. It is the motivation for everything that he challenges us today to be. Paul says at the very end of chapter 9, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for the gift of Jesus. Thanks be to God for, as Paul says in the previous chapter, that our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for our sake so that we might be rich. We need to believe this. We need to celebrate this. We need to remember this. And here's the thing. In just a little bit, we're about to come to this table of grace. And this table is a beautiful reminder of the inexpressible gift of Jesus becoming poor to the point of death so that you and I can become rich. As we reflect and recite the great thanksgiving, as we think about asking God to accept now our offering of bread and wine and gifts, I want you to think about what this means for you today. See, the Apostle Paul in verse 7 says, each one must give as he has made up his mind. Each one has to give thinking through what are they to give, how much are they to give, why are they to give. I have no desire today to tell you how much you should give. I don't know what anyone gives. But each one of us is called to ask ourselves, are we giving? Are we giving enough? Do we have a plan to give? Or at least do we have a plan to evaluate how we are doing? Each one of us, like the Church of Corinth, must make up our own mind on how generous we will be with what God has given us. And each one of us, I believe, at times should evaluate our heart towards money to see how we are doing. And here's a good thing. We get to do that every week when we come to communion. Every week, even if you don't realize it, we are reminded in our liturgy the call to give, the fact that God has given us so much, we are able to give a portion back to him. Every week as we approach this table of grace, we get to be reminded of all the good things that God has given us. And how he is worthy of us responding in generosity. Every week we come to not a table of guilt, but a table of grace. And we get to think about all God has given us and we get to worship him with responding to giving of our lives, of our time, and of our possessions and monies to others. It is right to give him thanks and praise. And it is right to give him lives that are generous responses to all that he has done. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for how generous you are to us, though we don't deserve it. And may we celebrate that. May we believe that. May we, as we walk forward in a moment to take of this bread and wine, be pointing ourselves to see the beauty and the amazing gift that you have given us in creation and in redemption and the longing for one day to make all things right. These are good gifts that we celebrate now. And we want to respond with love back to you and love back to our neighbors. In your holy name, amen.